0: So, the question, and we've gotten this question in our private Facebook group. We have tens of thousands of people in this group, the Quick Brain Podcast community. And the question that we're going to talk about today is decoding the female and the male brain. How many people realize that, you know, when you're talking to men and women, it's a different <laughs> communication, right? <laughs> and you're thinking, like, you know, is our men's brain, are they really from Mars and women's brains really from Venus? And how does that work? because we're different, so I want to have that conversation. And I'm excited about this because your episode that we did on getting a shredded mind was one of the most popular episodes. And I love this because your background makes you perfectly suited for this. In our community, we call you our wellness wonder woman, because this is like about superheroes, right? And the love for superheroes. And you and I, we geek out a lot about neurobiology and neuroscience and brain optimization. Is it a myth? Are female brains different than male brains? And the reason why we want to talk about this is because how many people know a man or a woman? Raise your hand. (laughs) (laughs) Or a boy or a girl, right? (laughs) So this affects everything.
1: Absolutely. You know, to answer your question very simply, there are absolutely differences. There are differences between the male and the female brain. So I just want to maybe back up for two seconds just so everybody has a working knowledge of what we're going to talk about here. So very generally, we have two sides or two hemispheres, two halves of the brain, right? We have the right side, we have the left side. When we think about how our brain develops, it typically develops right to left, so any mothers or fathers in the audience can also attest to the baby starts off with more gross motor skills, which is more attributed to the right side, and then eventually two or three years old, he's able to or she's able to hold a pen, and then we start seeing left-sided fine motor skills. So when we look at the brain's development, it goes from right to left. So when we think about the left side, typically we see the left side is more mathematical, it's more linear, more strategic, more analytical. This is typically called the male side of the brain. And of course that's not to say that women can't be mathematical or strategic or linear, it's just classically called the male side of the brain. And there's a very important neurotransmitter or hormone in the brain, a neurotransmitter called dopamine that lives there. Who's heard of dopamine here before? Okay, so dopamine is our motivator, right? It's the thing that keeps us passionate. It keeps us engaged. It keeps us motivated to continue doing the things that we love to do, right? So if you've ever had a to-do list, how excited do you get when that one thing on your to-do list, you get to tick it off? Yes or yes? All of you or all of you, right? So that's dopamine. That keeps us engaged and motivated and passionate. The thing to remember about dopamine is we control our own levels of dopamine. So. When we do a to-do list, for example, we can raise our own levels of dopamine by going through that checklist. Now, when we flip over to the right side of the brain, we see a little bit of a different story there. So the right side of your brain is more sensual, it's more creative, it's more passionate, typically called the female side of the brain. And of course, I'm not saying that men cannot be sensual or creative or passionate, but it's just kind of classically called the female side of the brain. This is where a neurotransmitter called serotonin, (laughs) So this is like our happy hormone. The really important difference here between serotonin on the right and dopamine on the left is your serotonin, you don't raise your own levels of serotonin. You raise your serotonin levels from your external environment, meaning people that you love around you, your boss, your friends, your family, when they give you positive reinforcement, that will drive up serotonin. And in turn, when serotonin gets high, it will drive up dopamine. So when you get positive reinforcement from your boss or your wife or your husband or your family or friends, serotonin comes up and then that drives your dopaminergic pathways. Everybody's with me so far? Left side dopamine, you do it yourself. Right side serotonin, you need it from your external environment. So the difference when we look at male and female brains, the biggest dimorphism or the biggest difference between the left and the right side, when we look at men and women, is that men have twice as much serotonergic receptors, meaning they have twice as much receptors for serotonin in their brain than women do. What that means is our women, who have now half as much, we need twice as much positive reinforcement from our environment to drive up the same amount of serotonin to drive that dopamine.
0: So it's kind of like, we're not necessarily logical, but we're biological. And so we're talking about dopamine, we're talking about serotonin. What about Oxytocin.
1: So oxytocin, when we think about like the four main neurotransmitters, it's dopamine, as we talked about, serotonin, oxytocin, and I like to call them dose, so endorphins, Endorphins. right? So oxytocin is like the big bond, you know, when we think about a new mother and she's nursing her baby, there's oxytocin that's being released that bonds her to the baby. When we think about it in the context of sex and an intimate relationship, there's also a massive amount of oxytocin that's also released as well, which bonds the both of you together.
0: And then going back to the fourth, then, when we're talking about endorphins, what role does that play?
1: Well, we think about how happy and joyful and elated we feel. Like, we think about like new relationships, like there's, you know, that high that we all have. How many right? people
0: feel like feeling happy and elated? Raise your hand.
1: <laughs> when we think about where those emotions come from, it comes from an area right behind your forehead, it's called the prefrontal cortex. So the emotion of happiness tends to live on the left side. Joy tends to be on the right. So the endorphins will elevate and upregulate both of those feelings. So. Let's talk about this maybe in like a real life, like a work life or a relationship example. So a positive way that you can drive up serotonin. Every single day, I get positive reinforcement from the people that I help or my online nutrition program. I have people telling me all the time, I've lost so much weight with you. My chronic headaches are gone. My baby can now turn her head to the side to breastfeed. You know, So I get all this positive reinforcement all day long. So my serotonin levels are always jacked, right? So that drives my motivation to show up the next day and do it again. Because I'm receiving all of this positive feedback, I am getting motivation to be the best doctor that I can be the next day. That would be like a positive example, a synergistic, the way that we always want things to work with serotonin and dopamine. Now, a negative example in the context in terms of relationships, you all know Giovanni, my partner. Now, this is hypothetical. Imagine... One day I said, you know, I just want to create a beautiful experience for me and my partner. I'm going to get all dolled up. I'm going to, you know, create a beautiful experience for us to have. And, you know, hair is done, nails done, makeup's on, all that good stuff. And he comes home and he says, I just had like a terrible day. I'm tired. Neurologically, that's devastating to me as a woman. I already need twice as much feedback from my environment than my male counterpart does. And when we think about a relationship in its entirety, the cumulative effect of those experiences, so maybe that happens 10 times or 20 times or 100 times over the course of a relationship, this may be a neurological explanation for the divorce rate in our country,
0: right? Amazing. Questions? So I was wondering, I've been with my wife since high school, so you know, we've gone through a long run, But like when in the past, why did I always have a natural instinct to whenever there was a problem to like not want to talk about it and then Nancy would always want to talk about it? Is that like wired in us?
1: Yeah, so part of that is when we look at the structure of the brain. Anybody here have a daughter and a son together? Daughter spoke first, daughter spoke first, right? So when we look at the development of the female brain versus the male brain, She has much more estrogen receptors in the areas of her brain that drive language and communication. So she is way more of a stealth ninja in reading your face and listening to your tone than the male is. And this actually happens from, you're like, oh yeah, I got it. (laughs) right? So for a female, her brain is under the influence of estrogen, so she will develop her language much quicker and her ability to read nonverbal cues. Whereas a male's brain, who is more under the influence of testosterone, does not have that. And actually, when we look at the dimorphisms between an area of the brain called the amygdala, which is an area in the temporal lobe is involved in like anger and emotions, there's more testosterone receptors there than there are estrogen. So this is why we tend to see men will get angrier generally, right? right? Like generalizing here. We tend to see a woman will want to talk it out because when she's stressed... The way that she kind of gets through that is by talking it out. So this is why we always see like women's nights, it's like wine and dine. Like they'll have, you know, wine together and they'll like kind of hash things out, right? Or they'll talk about, you know, stressors that they have. Females heal through dialogue. Men, because they don't have as big of a language center, they don't tend to need that.
0: When we're talking about personal growth how many of you are have been on this personal development path for quite some time i feel like in my personal experience the things that make you grow the most yes you could go and meditate somewhere in a cave that's one path and we all have different paths for me you know things that really force you the life conditions on the outside that really force the next level of development a lot of it has to do with relationships is that true or false you know, both your intimate relationships, your work relationships. That's why we always talk about the power of a positive peer group, because who you spend time with is also who you become. Yeah. You and I have talked a little bit about mirror neurons, and this still has to do with our nervous system, how we're constantly imitating and adopting certain attitudes and beliefs about the people around us. Is that true?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Has anybody ever heard the saying, you need to love yourself first before you love other people? As someone who's like, a complete nerd in terms of neurology, I actually want to flip that. I think that, you know, taking into the mirror neuron theory and also what we just talked about in terms of dopamine and serotonin, I think you need to love other people first before you can love yourself because that's how we positively, when we get that activation from serotonin to drive your dopaminergic activation, it comes from loving other people first, and that allows you to love yourself. When you are engaging with somebody who you love, you cherish, you honor, you respect, they're also going to be reflecting that back to you. So you also are able to drive some of those positive interactions as well.
0: How many people believe that like, if you want to feel more love, you give more love also, and you're not necessarily giving to get, you're giving because it's who you are. And when we're going through that actual motion, we feel it biochemically. And I think this conversation is so important because we're not taught this in school, right? We're not taught how our body, which our brain is part of our body. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come with an owner's manual. Don't you find that interesting? That we just react to things, we feel certain ways, but we're not really sure why those feelings are there. When I am talking about intimate relationships, what makes you grow is sometimes in an intimate relationship, that person is a mirror for you because you're so vulnerable and you're so open. Mm-hmm. And when somebody has a breakup, what's going on biochemically when somebody separates in a relationship? Because it feels like it's a drug.
1: It feels like death. I think when we break up with someone and it's really devastating, whether you've been with someone for a minute or a decade, I think it really comes back to our tribal roots. Neurologically, we are designed to be in tribes of people. Right? We're not designed to be by ourselves when we were more nomadic, we would travel in tribes, right? And when you were... In a group of people that you loved and you trusted, even when we just think about survival, your chance of survival in a group or with other people was much higher versus if you were exiled from the tribe for some reason or you decided to go off on your own or whatever. So when there is a breakup, it kind of feels like death. It kind of feels like you're being exiled from the tribe, that you've been rejected on some neurological and physiological level, absolutely. Mm -hmm. When we think about hormones that are released, we think about cortisol our stress hormone, right? So cortisol is like our fight or flight. It's kind of the thing that keeps us out of danger. You know, if there was like a bear that kind of showed up here, the amount of cortisol that would be released in our body, it's known as fight or flight. So it's really designed to get us away from the bear or to fight the bear. So when there's a stressor like that, we see cortisol shoot through the roof. We see things like sleep and circadian rhythms, the rhythms that we have every day, like our ability to fall asleep and stay asleep. A lot of our vitals change because we are under Duress. Like our brain will perceive a stress, which is the separation. And, you know, as much as we are modern in many ways, our DNA and our biology hasn't really changed that much in the last 10,000 years. So, feeling like you are exiled or feeling like you're being rejected can feel like death, you know. And then we see physiologically, like the cortisol, and we see the heart and the vitals and all these sort of things change.
0: This theme comes up a lot, these questions come up a lot. How many people can relate to this at some point in their life? The reason why I'm bringing this up is because it takes judgment out of how you feel. Because I feel a lot of suffering comes from judging ourselves, shame, guilt, going back and running these questions, which are just thought patterns. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm certainly not a relationship expert or career expert or any of these things. But the focus is on the brain because this plays a role in all these different things. And so, what I find for me, I haven't gone through, you know, just like everybody has gone through bad breakups and separations, bad business deals and things whenever there's conflict, you know, going back and getting curious. But I could see how breakup, listen to this conversation about dopamine and serotonin, oxytocin, Mm -hmm. because if you're used to getting that from a partner Mm -hmm. and then it stops, then you're going through withdrawal. And that's a drug. And just like sugar, mimics heroin in the body Mm -hmm. you know certain things you just cut it out you crave it and you think about it you want to stalk the person on insta nobody here would do that
1: (laughs) right 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 or you rebound
0: so what would your advice be you know in the context of personal transformation relationship intimate or not somebody leaves or we lose a loved one So there's something that's there, and yes, it's that person, but also it's the feelings that's flooding in our body that also those chemicals also prompt certain thoughts. When you're tired, your thoughts go in a different place, right? When you're angry, your thoughts go in a different place. That's why they say, like, don't send that email or leave that voice message when you're angry or you're drunk or inebriated or something like that.
1: (laughs) You know, my hope in sharing some of this, like, differences between the male and the female brain and how we operate a little differently is not for you guys to run back to your partners and be like, you should be bonding this, sex all the time. Like, it's to give you guys an understanding of how we work, as you were saying, to remove the shame, to understand that you're not alone that everybody feels this way. It is part of our neurobiology. It's not, you know, there's something wrong with you or there's something unique to you that's making you behave in a certain way. So to give you an understanding of how you work, I think will provide some clarity and some insight there. Of course, if you lost a loved one and you're having suicidal thoughts or anything along that line, like there's helplines and counselors that I would obviously completely recommend that you go and seek out. But save for that, just understanding that you're not, a freak, you know, that this is how we operate. And especially whenever I've talked about this to women, women are like, okay, like this gives me so much more insight into why I feel needy or why I feel like I want him to, you know, compliment me or whatever that looks like. It's because you neurologically require it. So my advice would be take the information, understand that that's how you work and remove the shame from it.
0: That's why when you read books on breakups and things like that, you know, how they recommend things like just like any kind of stimulus, like when we talk about habits, the episodes we've done, everything is prompted by a trigger, yeah. all habits, right? If you want to meditate, if you want to read more, if you want to work out, it helps to have a trigger in your environment mm-hmm. that prompts you or reminds you to do the routine. So if you ever want to break a habit, the best thing to do besides, you know, changing the routine, because that takes a lot of willpower is to remove the trigger. And that's why even when you separate from somebody, for example, blocking them on social media because you're not constantly being reinforced and conditioned over and over again.
1: And even changing the physical environment as well, right? So if you always went to a certain restaurant with someone, you know, going past that certain restaurant is going to be a physical cue. When we think about addiction, like the neurochemistry of addiction, it will activate the RAS and some other areas where you're constantly being triggered and you have all these memories and flooding with.
0: And she said it right there, memories. How many of you are familiar with this, positive or negative, however you interpret it, that, you know, whether it's a breakup or anything, you can go into an environment, it just brings back all that restaurant, the smell, the music, the sights, and it changes. Even when somebody has a breakup, what they'll do is they'll change the sheets. They'll move the bed to a certain different person and so they don't want to get constantly triggered. Even the the episode we did on productivity with Julia Roy, about having work environments that trigger you to go into alpha states or creative states. Having a sleep environment automatically triggers you to be able to relax, not doing your work in your sleep environment or so on, because the environment has to be able to serve you. 100%. Want to double your brain speed and memory power? If you'd like to learn rapidly and get ahead faster, I'd like to give you my brand new Quick Brain Accelerator program. You will discover exactly what I teach my clients to learn, read, and remember anything in half the time. There is no charge. It's my gift to you for being one of our subscribers. That's kwikbrain.com. Or simply text the word podcast to 916-822-7246 and we'll send you a direct link. And finally, the T stands for teach. You want to learn faster now? The key is to lock it in right away by teaching it to someone else. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Here's a simple way to do that. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a review with your biggest takeaway from this episode. You could also post and share this podcast on your social media. It helps us spread our mission of building better, brighter brains. And of course, tag us so our team can properly thank you. Hashtag QuickBrain, K-W-I-K Brain. Mine is at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So what does FAST stand for? Facebook, apply, subscribe, teach. I'll see you in our next episode of Quick Brain. Until then, remember, you are faster and smarter than you think.